Warning! This podcast exceeds the Surgeon General's recommended limit of awesome. This is Nutty Bites. Hello, Mixed Nutcases. This is Nukechess, and I've got a special episode of Nutty Bites for you today. We are doing an intro to Studio Ghibli episode of Whisper of the Heart. With me today, I have my usual guests. Hi, I'm Tech. And our guides. Hey, what's going on? This is Jason. And Jen. And we're going to be talking about, as I said, Whisper of the Heart, which is an adorable little story. So let's start with some initial reactions. Well, well, we, we, we really got to start talking with how the movie opens, and it opens in song. Mm-hmm. And it opens with an Olivia Newton-John cover of John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads, uh, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. I'm a I'm a I'm a weird sort of a closet John John Denver fan, but okay, not that much closeted. No. I really like John Denver, um, but it's such a beautiful version of it, and it repeats as a common motif through the the movie of this young girl who is um, an aspiring songwriter and writer, and this is a song that she's writing, and they do a really beautiful Japanese version of it in the in the end credits, and. Opening uh, opening reactions to this movie, I can't believe, and you know, I, I shouldn't be stunned that Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli can make a suburb of West Tokyo in the mid '90s feel like a fantasy realm. Yeah, the the way that they use the score, the way they use color, the way they block their shots, just this hilly sort of mountainside where, neighborhood um, in uh, West Tokyo feels just um as magical and fantastical as you know castles and moats and dragons and unicorns and it feels like a fantasy realm and you know we were talking about this earlier about how you know this was definitely the least fantastic of the movie we of the movies we've seen so far you know there's no magical creatures are obviously magical creatures there's no flying pig warriors there's no uh witches on brooms it's just a coming of age story yeah but there's a lot of throwback to yes, those things. Yes, there are a lot of oh, Easter yeah. eggs. They're and everywhere. <laughs> we will get to that. Uh, my initial reaction is it's a very heartwarming coming-of-age story, and I am constantly amazed at how well Miyazaki can make movies about little girls. How he gets little girls so well. And in this, we get the teen girls and the sister relationship is so on the mark and the emotions are so on the mark. It was mind blowing to me. And um, if I had seen this when it came out in 95, or even if I saw it a couple of years earlier, I would have been all over this. I mean, this is like my dream. Oh, let me meet a boy who reads all the books I read. What's the age difference between you and your sister? Your oldest sister. My oldest sister. It's 11 years, 11 years, which, um, you you it's something like that i'd say between the the main character and her older sister they're about 10 years apart i'd say yeah cuz the sister the the younger sister is just going into high school and she's about 13 and the other one is out of college yeah. looking for work and staying at home yeah. and their relationship is great but it's the i like the the relationship between uh the the friends at school and uh i don't know we'll get to that later yeah. anyway initial impressions guys no, I'm. No, go go ahead, Jen. I'll go last. This is the first time I've seen this movie. Uh, really? Uh, it, I don't think Jason owned it, actually. Yeah. Well, he never showed it to me. Hmm. Uh, 
And so I bought it on Blu-ray here a couple days ago. This is the first time I've watched it. I thought it was cute. Uh, I thought that the way that he had depicted the all the girls was great. Um, the crushes and, and mm-hmm. disappointments and stuff. It hit it spot on. Mm-hmm. And the older sister thing, I have an older sister. And that's basically our relationship right there. Your older sister is a B and you hate her for it? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> the older sister is bossy, but she gets all sad when she finds out her sister's moving out. And that's the thing. It's like you, you hate your sister, but at the same time, you really want your sister around. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got four older No sympathy. I, um, me and my little sister did not get along at all until we moved out and now Uh, we get along great yeah jason first impressions uh yeah okay i i'll have to preface this by saying whisper of the heart is my least favorite of the studio Ghibli movies it's not that i hate it for any by such means i just it's my least favorite and again i've seen him do love stories better but again, I'm also not a teenage high school girl. So that also might be a bit a little bit a little of the disconnect that I have with my like of this story. But he wheel he reels me in with this thing because of the connections he has to previous works, two of which are my fa- some of my favorites by him. But I do think he gets the atmosphere and the concepts of teenage life very well in this. Like Whereas we all look at it and like they shouldn't be this desperate. This this is not that big of a deal, and they think it's the end of the world. That is that is so your teenage years, though. Exactly, especially teenage girls. Yeah, that it's the end of the world for them. How could he possibly say that to me? How does he not know that I like him? And then you know it's the and then she gets so upset. Her friend gets so upset that she got dissed because she said you should date my friend instead of I really like you. That she has to take a day off school and miss a test because she's way too upset. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely high. I'm a 13, 14 year old teenager, and this is my life, and it's coming to an end because of this thing that I could have simply just been like, "Hey, I like you," but instead, that is not how girls work. Nope. Uh, I get it. Well, doesn't one of the boys say that at one point? He's like, what are you talking about? I don't speak girl code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, that was a direct quote. But at the same time, he he forced into telling uh I, I know nobody's <laughs> character names. I'm I'm just gonna say that right now. I uh Their names are all way too complicated. They're so complicated. Um, but he's telling the girl, the main girl, uh, that he likes her and how could she not have known? And she's like, we've been friends. Why would I think you like me? And, and she has the best reaction, which is my reaction at that age. You can't like me. Nobody likes me. I was trying to remember their, um, I was trying to remember their names. And then for some reason I realized that I was substituting the names of like Tokyo neighborhoods instead. Okay, so that's Shinjuku and her best friend Akihabara and Mount Fuji's the cat. No, I'm way off on this one now. We're horrible white people. Yeah. (laughs) No, like his reaction, her reaction to him saying, well, I like you should have been like, I didn't know that. And he's like, how could you not know that? And she goes, well, how could you not know she likes you? Yeah. You know, like ding, 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 ding. Same thing going on here. 
How but could you I, not I, tell that she likes you? I mean, every time you show up, she runs away and, and hides. Yeah, so uh, I mean, who wants to try? Who wants to try to explain a basic plot synopsis for our listeners that have not seen this movie yet? Mm, yes, who wants to do the the quick plot synopsis? <laughs> I guess it goes to me. Okay, you are quick plot synopsis. You are following around short haired well, girl. Now, 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 now. Here's the, now, now. To be devil's advocate, usually my plot synopsis are like three words, and you know, it's more like blah. Necess- not necessarily. You might want to, you know, flesh that out a little bit. There's a little, a little more, more than blah. A little more. Yeah, you go for blah blah. Yeah. Okay. So you got the main character. She has short hair. I can't remember her name. Just call her pants. She's not pants because <laughs> she's not every girl. It's it's basically a little nutty. Okay, so you got little nutty, and she is horribly insecure and loves reading and wants to read so many books during the summer she doesn't care about studying for her exams and you've got her best friend who is trying to decide does she want to follow her crush or the boy who's been sending her love notes the little nutty every time she checks out a book there is a name in the book and some boy Yes, for, Has, for, because I've just now noticed that he looks a lot like Tuxedo Mask. Let's just call him Darian. Okay, so Darian. <laughs> I actually think I know this one's name. It's it's Suki or something like that. It, no, not Suki. It's Sachi, something with a E at the end. Anyway, no. he keeps checking out the books before her until finally she beats him and she checks out a book that his name is not on the card, but his last name is the owner of the book who donated it. In 1958. In 1958. So she's on the hunt for this person <coughs> who she thinks will be her fairy tale prince. And she likes writing and yada, yada, yada. She finds an antique store by following the grumpiest cat in the world. Keep in mind that this is the quick plot synopsis yes, that included the, the phrase yada, yada, yada. Yes. And uh, she meets this antique dealer and he's got this cool uh, cat statue and there's a love story behind it. And then lo and behold, the uh, grandson of the antique dealer is the guy that has been checking out the book. Who Darian. She, yes, Darian, who she didn't realize is the guy. And every time she runs into him, he drives her crazy. And what a jerk, what a jerk, what a jerk, which is adorable. He likes making violins. They confess their feelings. He tries to go to Italy to make violins. She spends two months writing novels, ignoring her studies. Uh, And then in the end, she decides, hey, I need an education if I want to be a good writer. And she continues to follow her dream and get an education. And lo and behold, he comes back from Italy and he's decided the same thing. The end. And Miyazaki doesn't know how to end movies. Is that a good summary? Sure. All right. Right. So uh, uh, my, my observation at this point that I have to mention is that uh, one of their friends uh, is yet again, we've met this character in the other Miyazaki film so far, <laughs> is Little Techie. Yes. Uh, who was in Totoro wearing the, he was the one marching around in the army hat and he was the, the guy that was trying to build the flying bicycle in uh, Kiki's delivery service and I forget who he was. Uh, he worked for the mechanic. He worked for the mechanic in Porco Rosso. Yeah. And uh, now here he is as a baseball player. Uh, Tech does not like baseball, but little Techie um, apparently does. Uh, I don't know if Miyazaki bases this character on himself or maybe on one of his sons or something, but uh, 
just as the main character in this movie is a little nutty, yeah, that's a little techy. Yes. Well, no, Miyazaki's known for interjecting himself in his work um, and in, either interjecting himself or putting the things that he loves so much into them. And in this case, you could kind of take it and see that he's doing kind of a shot at creators because um, both of the characters in this are creators mm-hmm. and they both are hypercritical of themselves, but yet they put in the work that is needed to make their craft, you know, better. And that is definitely speaking to him and all the, all the people at um, Studio Ghibli. He's, By he's, the way, ha- he's hand carving the head of a violin and he's getting, yeah. a, he's getting a compliment from his crush. It's like, and wow, he, that's actually beautiful. No, it sucks. I'm horrible. I'm not very good. His actual, his actual, the line he says is, anyone can make a violin of that caliber. And, and he's just being super hard on himself, given the fact that he's handcrafted violins. Right. And, and just as hard as she is with her songs. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's really, it's really interesting the perspective they give you for creators in this. And you get that perspective, or you get a good view of that perspective from the old man at mm-hmm. the antique shop. And he uses a great analogy of the geode later on in the film yeah. where he tells her, he's like, he's like, you're like a geode. You have, you're rough, uncut, unpolished. You've got these hidden gems inside you, but you've got to dig deep to find them. And then when you find them, you've got to put the work in to make them great. And if you, you know, if you don't do that, you know, you don't know, you'll never know what's actually inside. And it's a really, really good analogy. But I will also like to point out that if you notice some of the shots and backgrounds in this thing, I'm pretty sure there's some dead bodies of some art illustrators lying around that they died doing those. Like, I mean, just the detail into the eyes of the Baron statue alone is enough to yeah. make a when when work. they go into the weird pastel color shifting fantasy land where the individual bricks all start to glow, which they did in like a complete yeah. sort of impressionist Van Gogh style. Yeah, there's seven dead animators somewhere. I'm expecting now some guy. With like gnarled arthritic hands in an old age home somewhere in Tokyo. Oh, what? It's like, are you here visiting your grandpa? No, I live here. I'm all gnarled up with arthritis. I'm 38 years old. This film, like, I mean, just like almost every other Studio Ghibli film, this thing looks like it chewed up and spit out illustrators. I mean, the the other ones were especially like those. Mm where She was fantasizing about being with the Baron. Mm -hmm. Like, man, like. They the, put in the work. Oh, they did. And, you know, uh, the one thing that Nutty noticed at the end of this film is that the other ones, you know, an animated movie, especially hand animated movies, are just over 90 minutes long because animation is incredibly expensive and time intensive. They're never over an hour and a half, if not by very much. This is a full two hours. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't worry. You're getting into the two hour and 20 minute range when it comes to the wind rises, which we get to. Wow. And he definitely has left. He definitely left some animators dead on the doorstep of Studio Ghibli with that one. So I want to go back a bit to the Geode talk with the antique dealer and um, Lil Nutty. If we could just isolate that scene and show that to every creator or anyone who has any passion, because it could also work for martial arts or baseball or, you know, anything that has a skill or a talent in any way required just show that to people and it's a great analogy of 
you know, the process, the creative process, the process to get better, the process of following your dreams, um, what it requires. You know, there's there's talent and then there's hard work. You're never yeah. going to just naturally be gifted and have everything at your plate. Even the most talented people if it need wasn't, that work. If it wasn't hard, yeah. there wouldn't be value in it and we wouldn't do it. Exactly. And yeah, everybody, everybody would do it. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. If, if easy, everybody would do it. I mean, it's like when you talk about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, period. But he still had to work. Yep. I mean, you know, this year in the playoffs, they talked about how Russell Westbrook, um, who's going to be MVP, um, that after one game where he shot poorly, they said he spent he was in he was in the gym until the wee hours of the morning, just him and a ball boy shooting thousands <laughs> upon thousands of jump shots because he he had a bad shooting game. And it's that type of work and dogged attitude that you have to have. And that's what this, that the analogy of the geo does. Explains, you know, yeah, you can have all the raw talent and potential you want, but unless you can shape it and forge it into something that can be used, it's always just going to be the potential of what that can become if you don't put in the hard work. I think it was Muhammad Ali that had a quote that said um, that every time he uh, practiced, every time he worked out, he hated it but he hated the idea of being a failure more. And that's what kept him in the gym. Mm. And, you know, th th that analogy of the geode that, you know, inside, you know, there's a stone called a barrel. The barrel is inside the geode. Inside the barrel, you'll find the emerald. But you have to cut it and polish it and shape it and sand it and find it. And sometimes you'll be working and you'll find something that's worthless. And sometimes you'll find a beautiful gemstone, but you have to work at it or yeah. you'll never know. And, it really was the heart of this movie, I think, was that scene. And um, like you paused the movie and you just started Kermit flailing around the living room. Oh, my God, I need this speech repeated to everybody. Yes. You were so emphatic. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it, was, it was wonderfully well done. It, it really is. And I was, I was speaking with my niece recently who is working really hard at pursuing acting. And she's been on lots of auditions. And she hasn't gotten anything. And I want to play this for her because that is exactly the thing. And, you know, you, every for her, every audition that you go on is experience towards auditioning. Every, you know, you, you, you may have more sketches than final pieces because you're constantly going to be working and reworking things. Um, there's a line we hear in martial arts a lot. Uh, the difference between a beginner and a master is a master has failed more times than a beginner has attempted. And it really kind of sinks in. And this geode scene, I mean, I best scene in the whole in the whole movie, I think. So she's flunking all of her exams. She's not going to get into high school. She doesn't care about high school. She devotes the two months that Prince Darian is in Italy learning to make violins uh, to writing her story so that he can read it when he gets back. And she sets this goal for herself that she's going to finish this story. And when she lets Grandpa, the antique shop owner, read it, I noticed in that scene, she's decided she's going to cry either way. Like, mm -hmm. she's going to have a cry. So he's like, she, and what did you think? Oh, I really liked it. You're lying to me. You're just trying to be nice to me. So it's either he's lying to me and he's pandering to me and he really hates it. Or if he says he doesn't like it, well, then I'm the worst person in the world and she's going to cry either way. And then he says the nicest thing he can. It's a very good story, but it's rough and it needs polish. You need to polish your story. So what does she do? She bursts into tears and runs out of the room crying. 
But you know what I love about this scene is that he really is the grandpa of this story, right? Like mm-hmm. he's definitely grandpa. And it's great because he even tells her, he's like, look, when he's like, when Tuxedo Mask finished his first violin, he was more out of bent out of shape than you are. It took four bowls of rice to get dairy in that. <laughs> He never thought that. he would save the the or Princess Serenity. He never thought he would save either one. Hmm. I oh, I'm, I'm blending genres, huh? Yeah, I love I love this. I love all of our little names here because we can't remember any of the names because we're horrible white people. But no, Tech is correct though. He's got the haircut and everything. And he looks he just like Prince Darian. But in that, he's cooler. And I'm telling you, little nutty like me when i was that age if i had seen that i'd be all over him and just like darian he's macking on a 14 year old but he's also 14 he's also 14 he's not like 19 like darian was which made it creepy and weird yes but you know what he's got i think he's got more game than darian because if you look at how he handled it because like you know he invites her in lets her see the statue gives her all the time she needs to spend with the statue because you know he's like hey she's a young girl she'll probably think this is awesome you know whatever and then when she comes he's like i'm gonna get some work into this violin and when she comes in i love it because she's like oh you can you play violin and he's like yeah a little bit and she's like well play something for me please 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 please." and he goes fine but you gotta sing and so he breaks up his violin. By the way, he's not just a player of the violin. This dude's got some skill. Right. He didn't like, choose to play the simple version of Take Me Home Country Roads. He plays the on multiple strings, heavily orchestrated, hitting every note. Like, this is some master level stuff he's got going on. We also say that there's a little bit of fantasy in this as these old people just show up later on and become a jam band. <laughs> and the one goes not only does he go from the, the the tambourine to a clarinet to a flute and then there's a guy playing classical spanish guitar and the other guy's just wailing about on this cello like these dudes a seven string are, cello yeah, th- there's some there's some weirdness going on because that mandolin the guy was on that was a double string mandolin that was a seven string cello that as far as i know does not exist and that other dude changes instrument like three times because at one point he's got like a bone flute then it's a classic recorder then it's a tambourine yeah, and yeah, he's all over it then the guy then the other guy with the seven string classical guitar he's playing like he's playing like he was the he was the soundtrack orchestrator for uh desperado like he's just <laughs> getting down on this guitar oh and the cellist but, is holding his bow backwards yes which is the most gangster way to play a cello <laughs> no 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 no. because your 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 bow hand just like on a violin when you're holding your violin as such your hand grips um you, you grip the bow between your, your 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 middle finger and your thumb and your your over top like this so when you play the cello the cello goes down in front of your body for people who can't see me articulating here on the on the video and you still hold the bow in the same way so it, you're pinching it between your middle finger and your thumb and your hand, so the, the back of your hand faces away from you. The palm faces your body. And you're sort of bowing this way. In the movie, he's got it the other way. He's holding it palm out as he's bowing this way, which means you'd have no way of adding tension to the strings, which is how you get volume. What you have to do when you're playing the violin is you press on the string by pushing down with the bow. The harder you push down, the louder and the grittier the noise gets. That's how you get that bite, that noise. You push down on the string. Yeah, the noise. So with a cello, you have to do it this way. You have to push 
in like this to get the sound against the string. So if you're holding it backwards, palm out, you'd have to pull backwards. You'd have to pull the bow Ooh. inwards while bowing this way. It would be incredibly um, impossible to get any sort of noise out of it. Well, but it is hmm? technically he's pulling on the strings. Yeah, the bow is pulling if into you the look, strings, and so that would technically not put as much pressure on there. Yeah, that would be that would be the, uh, you know what? Uh, find a cellist, sort this argument out. I, it would I, be. I, I will ask Becca tomorrow. She plays the cello, and I will have her do it backwards and see if she. Well, if you also watch the way it's animated, he's actually not pulling on the actual bow part of the bow. He's actually pulling the strings as well. His fingers are used to space the strings. They actually animate his fingers between the bow and the strings, which would mean he has the ability to cause the bow strings to press into the cello itself more. Right. Are more, we sure more. it's a cello then? It could, no, it a could cello, be a bass. It could be small. Well, but no, uh, it, it's it's the size of a cello, but a cello has four strings. This has seven, yeah. and if he's if he's got that much articulation in the strings, that would make the bridge a lot higher, which would make it like um one of those uh, excuse me, I don't know the term, but those those large Japanese guitars that they play laying down. Oh yeah, the thing. The ones that turn into weapons uh, during Kung Fu Hustle. Right, absolutely. The yeah. the one that they use in Kung Fu Hustle as a weapon. You mean you mean, uh, you mean the the same weapon that is also used in Kubo and the Two Strings? Probably yeah. never seen it. So, uh, oh my god! Can you guys tell that uh, Tech has played violin? That little Techie played violin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, you just know what, Tech? It's fine. We can go against type because I also I own and played my own flute. That was the first instrument I ever played. I actually cool. own a, a actual flute. Flute. I, I'm, I'm totally awesome. gonna break in with. I totally just found some really interesting facts about the actual movie that we watched. <laughs> really? Uh, Shut up, uh, Jen. No one cares about the movie. <laughs> Whisper of the Heart was actually based off of a manga. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, maybe Jason. Pronounce it, Minio Oh, let's see, let's see. We're gonna test it out. Uh, Show me. Right here. Uh, Whispers of the Heart was based on the manga Mimi Osuma Seba. Yeah. Suma Seba. There we go. Written by Ao Hiragot. <laughs> yeah. See, this is why I have Jason. Um. So, as you, as we know, the Baron is the character in The Cat Returns. Mm-hmm. Well, The Cat Returns is a spinoff from Whisper of the Heart. And this same author that wrote Whisper of the Heart manga rewrote The Cat Returns as a manga um, as Baron Afterwards. Niko no Shaku. Yeah, Neko is Japanese for cat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, they kind of like played off each other. That's, yeah, that's cool. cool. Neko Don Shaku. It is. It's a little bit of, a little bit of anime manga inception because you got to think Miyazaki gets inspiration from the manga, writes a movie about it. So the guy then takes the inspiration of the movie and makes manga about it. I'll take that. That's I really love cool. it. Well, I love it. Baron, by the way, see, Baron, ahead. voiced by Carrie Ells. Yes, yes. And perfectly by the way, voiced by Carrie Ells. Hmm. Well, yeah, he's he, in both this and in The Cat Returns. Well, we haven't seen that yet, so. We'll have to get Whisper there. Of the is literally the English translation. Mm-hmm. This uh, the Japanese translation is if you listen closely. Ooh, mm-hmm. I th- I think that it is makes a, a little more sense. Yeah, I think it's a much 
much better title than Whispers of the Heart or Whisper yeah. of the Heart. Yeah. So I got, I got a question for you guys. In, in all of these movies uh, about a songwriter or about somebody writing a song, it's always an original composition. In this one here, they chose to take a, a very well-known song yeah. and uh, rewrite the lyrics slightly, translate it to Japanese. So what, what are your guys' thoughts on like the song that she's writing, instead of being an original composition, using uh, a well-known classic folk tune like Take Me Home Country Roads? The one thing I, I did happen to notice is that anytime they would have to say West Virginia in the song, they would just go, Take Me Home <laughs> la 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 la, <laughs> take me home, country roads. <laughs> I think they said it one time. Yeah, yeah. I think it. But my thing is, I thought that they did it because if she did her own composition and it wasn't very good, then we wouldn't really follow the character. Yeah, this song at the time, very very well known. Um, I think I actually have a record of John Denver in my. For my record player, you probably do. I think I do. They play it. I I work in West Virginia, and they play it constantly. Really? It, yeah. It's, it's the ridiculous. fight song for one of the big universities in West Virginia. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's a so, that's a weird song to be a fight song. Yeah, and what's really funny is that none of the none of the landmarks that he mentions in the song are in actual West Virginia. They're in normal Virginia. Yeah, because you take them to get to West Virginia. Right. Yeah, but it's not because it, remember he's talking about he's, he's saying take me home so these roads these country roads that he's on are taking him home yeah to West Virginia. right what were you gonna say jen i can't remember <laughs> so one thing i did want to point out about this uh jam session scene that we got lost on a tangent hi which, we're we're lost uh i'm, I'm assuming tech you absolutely <laughs> love the jam session oh, uh cool if you notice uh one of the grandpa's friends uh, looks like the son of Granny from Totoro. He's got like the same face as Granny. Yeah, it's the mandolin player. Yeah, and the other one um, with the mustache looks like he's friends with Porco. Looks like he flew with Porco Rosso in World <laughs> War II. So, well, here's we did a- see the Porco Rosso reference. Right? Yeah, yes. yeah, on the face of the clock, it says Porco Rosso. And the pig that was uh, the rocking pig that was being used as a doorstop. Indeed. Yes. Now, I will say this though. Whispers, Whisper of the Heart is literally a wonderful kind of meta, like inception like film mm-hmm. because literally you can insinuate that the main character of this is the author and creator of the world that is embodied in The Cat Returns. I mean, she's created the world of the Baron, and in that movie, it's the Baron and Muta on da, 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 Don't spoil us! I'll, I'll do you one better. I Go think ahead. that this, this girl, this character, Little Nutty, because you'll notice over her shoulder at her desk when she's in her room writing, yes. is a little witch on a broom. Yep. And you've got the you've got the you've got the weird cat creatures, and you've got the the pigs and the Porco Rosso clock, and uh, all of these other references. I think she's the writer of all the other Miyazaki worlds. I think I think that this movie serves as maybe so far from what I'm seeing the linchpin that holds the is, whole multiverse together. Are you saying this is Miyazaki's Dark Tower series? I don't know. I've never read any Stephen King of any kind, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Dude, read it. Oh my no. oh my god. No, I, I just can't be bothered. Dude, the Dark Tower series is one of my no. it's my 
I, I've read Dark outfit. Tower. I can tell you Tech does not have patience for that. He might enjoy the gunslinger, but that's about it. It's a what? It's a science fiction horror yeah. thriller. So Western. this this uh, movie we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, some of the other Easter eggs that we noticed. We noticed the little witch. I love I love Tech's idea that she's writing all the other stories. Mm-hmm. It makes sense mm-hmm. that yeah. she would be the writer of all the other stories. Absolutely. But I, I also I, I think it warms my heart. Uh, to think that of everything I've seen so far, and I don't know what's going to happen with the other movies, but that they all happen in the same universe. Yeah. That that guy that played the the, the recorder in the jam band really did fly with Polcaroso in he the 30s. He could have. And that um, I, if, if I go a little further out into the country, like the beautiful lush hillsides that we saw in this movie, if I go a little further out... I'm going to find a magical oak tree and underneath it's going to be a big, beautiful cat creature who is looking out for some little girls like in Totoro. And that um, there's other girls at her school who didn't show up for their high school entrance exams because they're gone to other cities uh, to become witches. And well, you, you, if you think about it also like, well, man, this sucks because there's so many ways to tie this into other things that you guys haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get there. And, well, that's part of the unraveling of an intro cast. I know, and but some like some of these things are like um, are visual cues. Mm-hmm. You call it the back porch of the grandpa's shop is very reminiscent of a shop in Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you'll see um, it, at one point you see a guy riding by on a bicycle with a hat on, mm-hmm. with the big sun hat. That is that is almost exactly the same sun hat it, that is in Whisper, uh, the, the Wind Rises. Mm. Um, also used in Howl's Moving Castle. It is also um, the 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 bike riding comes back in from up, up from up on Poppy Hill, mm-hmm. which ties into Ponyo in a way. Like there's Miyazaki but- has rolled a lot, of, and and some people would say these are are, are just repeating concepts that he uses but at the same time i i feel like when you're as prolific as he is you don't do it by mistake you don't do it just because these are things that you focus on in your work you do them because you know people will see them and make the connection well i think i think there are some deliberate ones and any of the ones from the movies prior to this we know are deliberate attempts Whereas, which, which, which is why I feel like if they're in future movies, they are throwbacks to those past. Things. Right. That's what I was going to. That's what I was trying to say. Whereas we, what you think it's a reference to something else that comes in the future. Uh, those might actually be a reference to this. Um, one of the other things, one of the other Easter eggs is and I got her name. Little Nutty's name is Shizuku. Uh, when she's looking for a new book to read in the library, you can see on the bookshelf a book titled Totoro. And at one point there is in the movie, there is a billboard advertising the movie, it, a movie with the same title of the movie we're watching. Well, think about it this way. The, it, the, there's a billboard advertising it and she names her book, Whisper of the Heart. Yeah. yeah very well, self-referential. It's, it's great. You wouldn't have picked up on this because you haven't seen it yet. But you'll remember this when we get to it. But Princess Mononoke is referenced in the title of her book as well. Okay. Because... Because uh, the subtitle for it, it's it's Whisper of the Heart. Listen, was it Listen to the Voice of the Forest? I think it was. I think it was. And in Princess Mononoke, there's a line that is 
you can't hear it. You can't hear the the, the voice of the forest. And I won't go into more detail about that because it'll spoil some of the stuff about that movie. And that's cool because that is a lot. And it still works with the Japanese title of If You Listen Closely. Yeah, it does. The person who says that line I just referenced is Gillian Anderson. Ooh, hello. (laughs) And that'll be our next movie. But before we start talking about that movie, we need to finish this movie. Uh, So one of the other scenes that I wanted to talk about, and it's a little more of a blatant um, uh, uh, metaphor, but I really dug it, uh, is at the end of the movie, She's on the back of the bike um, with with tuxedo mask and they're going uphill. And she says, should I get off? And he goes, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring us both I up there. I decided that I'm going to bike up this steep hill by myself with my girlfriend on the back. And oh, yeah. this sucks. Bike stops moving. <laughs> and little nutty jumps off and says, no, if I'm going with you two, I'm going to help. And she starts pushing the bike up for him. And, and, and I'm just like sitting next to Tech and I'm like, it's a metaphor for a equal partnership in a relationship. To which point <laughs> I answered you? with the only thing I could. And um, it's one of those really heartfelt things that I think is going to stick with us for a while. But I said, you know what? Thanks for helping me push the bike. Yes. And, and I also thank Tech for helping me push my bike. Mm-hmm. Dude, Miyazaki, he, I, I feel he's like me. Where he would not identify, he would not identify himself as a feminist, but everyone else would say he is. So he would then say, "I am a pocket feminist," right? Mm-hmm. But if you've noticed in most of his pro, his most prolific films, they are all centered around the growth, understanding, mm-hmm. comprehension, development, and awesomeness of a female character. Yeah, the only film that he has a main character that is a male. That is an actual male character is Princess Mononoke. The main character in that is a is a is a prince. Porco Rosso. Yeah, Porco well, Rosso. But by the end of Porco Rosso, Porco Rosso is not defined by himself. He's actually defined by the two women that he is in he's That's actually true. Mm. even well, even when it's a male protagonist, there are progressive females in these movies. And this whole movie is about progressiveness with with women. I mean, the mom is going to school for her masters. The the sister has gotten is is fully educated and wants to move out on her own yep. without a man attached. Uh, all of the girls, it's you got to study, you got to do something <laughs> for yourself. Um, and even when she starts to go off the rails, when little Nutty starts going off the rails, and her grades are slipping, mm-hmm. and her parents are getting upset, her parents sit down with her. And they're like, you have to tell us what's going on. She's not ready to tell well, them. But they said, we're going to trust you. Which, as a parent, I'm sure like a if, lot of people are like, I just got to make sure you're not on drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thing is, if you look at it, though, it's not, the, it's not both parents. Yeah. The mom kind of goes along with it. And one of the things I've noted throughout this whole movie is that the dad seems to be the only one necessarily in tune with the daughter. Because he works in a place where he can see her mm. and she enjoys because he works in a library. I love when he sees her go uh, into the, the nonfiction section and he goes, ooh, exactly. nonfiction, my goodness. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's looking up geodes and rocks. Yeah. Did you see that? And violins. Um, indeed. And the mother is well more is obviously well more in tune with the older daughter because they're yeah. both in school. The I think... Mother's- her masters and the the sisters you yeah. know trying to graduate and blah 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 and all that good stuff and 
you know, the the mother's opinion and the sister's opinion are kind of in line, whereas the father is definitely more kind of he's he's definitely more malleable towards her position. And I, it sees you could definitely see that she and the dad would get along far better than the mother and the daughter. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the mother doesn't love her, but definitely when there's two children and two parents, each each child definitely associates with one of the parents far more than the other. That's just natural. Mm-hmm. I think I think I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit. Um, I think the sister was very much against the whole letting her do whatever she wants thing and was really against this whole idea of following whatever project. I think the mom was more noncommittal because she 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 didn't even talk to her about it. She came home from the school conference. She didn't approach her daughter. She talked to the sister and then the sister was the one berating the daughter and then dad comes home and says, let me know what's going on. And she sits down with dad and she listens to dad and she's like, all right, let's do this. I think yeah, mom's more noncommittal than any, than against it. I would call them more aloof than anything. Yeah. Um, but I feel that like if it came down to it, like if you had to split them but up into two teams. Yeah. It'd be mom and dad and daughter, mom and it'd be, it'd be mom and the older daughter and dad and the younger daughter. Like, I think that's how it would go mm-hmm. because, because if you've noticed the older daughter definitely acquiesces to the mother. Yeah. She definitely, you know, mom comes home and she's like, I'm tired. He's like, well, do you want some coffee? And she's like, yeah, that'd be great. And she gets up immediately and does it, even though she looks like she was studying for something in school. Mm-hmm. And so you definitely can see that she's definitely devoted to at least the mom. And so, I, you know what's really funny is I think that this would make a great counterpart to My Neighbors, the Yamadas, which is a film that we will get to much later, much, much later. But I, th- I think one of the things that Miyazaki isn't def- isn't praised for or, or get much, enough credit for, because he wrote this. He didn't direct it. He wrote it. Yeah. Um, is that he does family dynamics very, very well. And if you look in the films that we've seen already, right, we've seen what? Totoro, Kiki, Whispers of the Heart, and what else? Porcaroso. Porcaroso. If you look at the dynamics he's put into those films, right, Totoro, he gets the single dad or the dad treading water till mom comes home Mm -hmm. very well in that movie. He gets the put upon, like, I want to be a protector of the weak hero and the the self-sacrificial hero well with Porco Rosso, but he doesn't make it overt. Right. He makes Porco a he's Porco's a profanity. Like we all agree that he's a profanity. Okay. But he's in the but, but he's a profanity. Like in the most lovable way because no, he's no. definitely doing it. He feels that he needs to keep people away. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And one thing that that I will say about Miyazaki's writing when he's writing women, um, and as a, a feminist writer, and you know, I was trying to think of other feminist writers. Of course, Joss Whedon comes to mind. And the one big difference is that in all of Miyazaki's girls that I have seen so far, there is nothing titillating. Mm-hmm. There, there's yeah. nothing sexual about any of them there's there's no outfits there's no like sort of you know provocative behavior there's no flirting there's no nothing it's just he understands the raw psychology of women and girls and he's able to write it beautifully even look at uh totoro he understands toddlers yeah 
and how they like like humple and bumple their way through a house and the way that they move and they explore and the soot sprites and well, I mean, look at look at Porco Rosso. I mean, if you want to, if you especially taking the Joss Whedon comparison, you've got a character that basically could be the premise for Kaylee, mm. but it's not exploitive. It's not it's not sexualized at it's all. It's not engines make her hot. Yeah, it's she's an engineer. Exactly. He has a femme fatale in Porco Rosso, mm-hmm. but she's not played up in that exactly. Sense. Yeah, it's fatale. it's romantic. And it's, and Exactly. And you can still characterize her as a femme fatale because she's a very independent, very outspoken female character who's strong and she doesn't need guys to give her success in what she does. But yet there are very, very obviously a- pe- there are very obviously people that are very attracted to her. Mm-hmm. You know, every guy in that bar, that Absolutely. American pilot is beating himself in the face to try to get with her. But the sexual aspect of it never comes up. Which is why I would I would credit Miyazaki mm. as definitely like a million times more feminist than Joss Whedon. Um, and you know, sorry, Joss. Well, Joss, Joss had his heyday, but I mean, he's not really been progressing. Um, you know, feminism for '90s is different than feminism for the the 2010s. And this is funny, is that this is you know feminism for today in 2017, yeah. but this movie was made in 95. Exactly, which is why I think it's it's so important how progressive it is mm. and it's subtly progressive. It's not this is a feminist movie. No, this is a movie and it's progressive and feminist because that's how life should be. And I love and it, it. And it's and it, one of the things why Again, you know, you. I always tell you, you say I'm feminist, I say I'm a pocket feminist, is because I'm not oppressive with my ideals. I openly tell people that I, I was raised by all women, period. I don't know who my father was. Um, hell, I could have been immaculately conceptive for all I know. Um, well, let's, go let's go with that theory. Let's go with that. I some sort of anime god. But, but, but I've, I've, see, I've grown up around and seen nothing but independent open spoken independent never they don't bite their tongue for anybody women all my life and miyazaki puts those into his stuff as natural as it can be and i will tell you firsthand that it is not natural it is not openly accepted and it is dang on sure not considered in uh, unmasculating for a woman to speak out the way that he has his females do in his work in real life like um, I'm, I don't under like I don't understand how how like my family have had success as open, independent, spoken women as they have, but they've had great success. And Miyazaki's had great success in writing them into his work. Like I don't know if that speaks more for him or speaks more for the changes because we Miyazaki, the Walt Disney of animation, of anime, yeah. and he even openly says him Andy Saltak. Um, um, I'm sorry, uh, Nadi Saltakahata. Um, um, he's the guy who did Astro Boy. Um, they both openly say that they wanted to be like Walt Disney. Yeah, like they want they want they wanted to be an animation giant like Walt Disney. And so, it, I don't know if it speaks more for them in how they wish to interpret and adapt what they got from Walt Disney and make it into something like this, or. I think it's them. I don't think it's it's something they got from Walt Disney. I think it's, you know, uh, they wanted to be like Walt Disney is in the sense that Walt Disney is what North America thinks of when they think of animation. Mm -hmm. 
and the progressiveness is innate within them. And the fact that that is at the forefront of Japanese animation is pretty amazing. And, and the, so I do want to applaud that. What I got to say about, um, you know, if I'm going to compare Disney to Miyazaki. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So Disney's a giant like ratings juggernaut and has been since the 40s. But none of his movies, none of the animated movies, I could consider particularly deep. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very shallow fairy tales. You enjoy them at sort of their face value. And a lot of them have outdated racist and sexist values in them. Um, the Miyazaki films, you know, I enjoy now. I would have enjoyed in my 20s. I'm going to enjoy in my 40s. I'm going to enjoy watching them with my niece and nephews because they're going to be fun to watch and they're fun to enjoy again and again. You know, Disney <laughs> Disney movies are like popcorn movies compared to this. And I don't think there's been... Um, I'm trying to think of an original Disney animated movie that was deep, and the only one that's coming to mind is Fantasia. Yeah, and other, that's that's more um, visually deep. Yeah, right. And other than that, there hasn't been a deep Disney movie since um, Sarah McLaughlin made us cry in Toy Story Two yeah. well, with that beautiful song. Is, well, my thing also, although Toy Story Three, oh my god, gut wrenching. Mm. Um, but no, oh. one of the things. So in, Pixar, so Pixar movies make Disney. Yeah, yeah, we're going right where I was going. I was like, you cannot take Disney slash Pixar because here's the deal: some of the movies that come out by Disney are by Pixar. Some of them come out. Some of the movies that come out are by Disney, but yet they're still the same people because John Lasseter was a Disney guy, got fired, became the president of, of Pixar, and now he's back under the umbrella of Disney along with Pixar. So they they are interchangeable. Yeah. But you cannot take that generation of films and com- and put them with the generations of films by Disney because there are distinct differences. Oh yes. And I will point the two that I will point the most or I'm sorry the three that I will point the most to are The Princess and the Frog, um Brave, mm-hmm. and Moana. I won't point out um, the, the the Snow Princess one. God, what was it called? Frozen. 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 Thank you. I won't point that one out because I I have problems with Frozen, <laughs> which is it's a it's a discussion for another time. But reason why I point out Brave, Princess and the Frog, Moana, there ain't a white person in sight, and I'm gonna just be blunt with it. There's not a white person in that movie. We haven't seen Moana and yet, they, and we really want to. You really should. Yeah. It is definitely steeped in the Polynesian, Samoan, Hawaiian um, which culture. Movie, culture. Which and, Pixar movie had the animated and, short at the beginning of the volcanoes singing a love song to each other? Had the animated short of what? There's a, there's a You know how Pixar does the short movies? The, the yeah. shorts at the beginning of their movies? There's one of the Hawaiian mm-hmm. volcanoes singing a love song to each other. Oh, Lord, know. But it's really, really, really good. I just can't find it on YouTube because the House of Mouse keeps taking them down. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, di- so I digest. Getting that, that reminds me, though, getting back to this film. Uh, this film opened with a short, and it was a music video that Jason has sent us, and we were going to do a bonus episode on, and we probably still will, mm. uh, of On Your Mark. Oh, yes. By the way, can we just say Japan wins when it comes to music videos? Just because... <laughs> have basically Walt Disney make a music video. Yeah. And On Your Mark is... You haven't seen On Your Mark, have you, Jen? 
Okay, so we're not going to spoil Jen. Jen, you're going to have to watch it. Hey, but um, Walt Disney did make a music video. It was called Fantasia and yes. Fantasia 2000. And Fantasia 2000. And they're fantastic. And they are amazing. But uh, back to Whisper of the Heart. Although Fantasia, um, Fantasia 2000 was, what, 30 years after the first Fantasia? No, no, no. At least 60. Almost 60 yeah, years. Fantasia, yeah. Fantasia came out in the, in the mid-40s. Yeah. Uh, Fantasia came out around the time that I think it was after Snow White. 42? Yeah. Fantasia was supposed to be the only movie that ever had sequels and they wanted to do it uh, regularly. Fantasia came out in 1941. Jason, what is it that you were trying to say? Oh, no, what I was going to say was that I think Fantasia is the second longest gap between sequels, whereas they used to, they wanted it to be year on year mm-hmm. for Fantasia. Mm-hmm. Bambi holds the record for the longest. I think Bambi Ugh. was seven. There's years. no sequels to Bambi. No, I just believe. Yes, there was. No, just no, like the, no. just like there's only ever been one Matrix. Exactly. Film. Yeah. No. No. There were no sequels to Bambi. Um. So, <laughs> getting back to the film, uh, I want to talk very briefly about the cat. Who Moon is or Muta? Muta. Who is what? Muta or the Baron? Uh. Well, first Muto and Moon. Uh. The the this cat that lives with everybody. Um, that takes the train by himself, that uh, is totally grumpy, and I love him. Uh, the, um, uh, and the one thing I found cool was the, the, um, maybe nobody else made this, or maybe this is one of those assumptions that I made that I'm supposed to make, but the, the one dark purple ear that kind of looks like a witch's hat. Oh, I like it. I did not notice that. It made, made a witch's hat, yeah. so it made me think that, okay, this is a magical cat. And she talks well, to it, expecting him to talk back. Right, fine, make me talk to myself then. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Darn it. What? Because I can't make the point that I want to make. No, no save because it. Because it'll save it. part of the cat returns. Needless so, say- one thing about... All right, so I think I know where you're going. Because there is what some people call a goof, but is also a fan theory about this movie. The Baron is never drawn the same. Mm-hmm. His hands are in different positions. He's, oh, the statue moves. Yeah, yeah the statue moves. Mm-hmm. He's never the same. Right. So every time you see him, he is different, which poses and, the question, is the statue alive? And it also, I think, it, I think the statue is alive because the grandson doesn't say why the Baron is no longer in the window. Mm-hmm. But he just says, oh, he's over here. Yep. He never says why. He never says. And if you notice, uh, well, you guys haven't seen it, and this is a slight bit of. I, I don't want to say a spoiler. Spoil it. It's not a spoiler. It's about the sun. Because remember, in 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 the cat returns, the sun is yeah. part of the reason things happen. Yeah. No, you can't spoil us. But yes, the sun makes really cool things with his eyes. I don't. I wouldn't call that a spoiler. It it, yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. So, um. This five minutes. This film is the first Japanese okay, just- film that was released in Dolby G- Digital. Kind of cool. Very cool. And with the, with the soundtrack that it had, um, yeah. I, I know there are there are movies coming up that we're going to watch that are known for their sound. I think Princess Mononoke is one that's known for its soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but this one here, um, uh, wow! Did the music uh, really sort of push? Yeah, things forward. Like I said, that whole thing about how can you make a, a mountainy suburb in West Tokyo 
feel like a fantasy realm well easy when you've got a score that works that hard in the background it really helps it really does and uh this is the first studio ghibli movie that used a uh, digital composition now the animation was done by traditional means but they used a computer to edit and bring everything together oh cool so that's that's also really cool and um tech you were telling me that all of the locations are real places yep. there's a um the i think it, the the suburb uh, i think it was tama Mm-hmm. Is the name of the town that they're outside of, outside of Tokyo, and uh, the town Tom- Tama Hills. Oh. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, Tama Hills. Yeah. yeah. So it's known for uh, a pilgrimage that you can go on called the Thirteen Buddhas, where they have thirteen individual temples to thirteen different Buddhas. That um, it's known that you, you. It's one of the things that you do when you visit there is you walk around and you see these thirteen temples. One of the temples, uh, and you can find the photos on the Wikipedia. Is the location uh, uh, from one of the scenes where she sits down and has a conversation with uh, little Nutty has a conversation with Prince Darian outside of this. No, that's a conversation with little Techie. Right, with little Techie outside yeah. of this temple. It, it's an actual place and it looks just like it does in the movie. And they, It's really wild when yeah. you look at the pictures. It's awesome. Um, and uh, so then the last thing I wanted to mention is uh, I th- you guys watched the Blu-ray version, so you were lucky. Apparently in the DVD version, the credits get cut so you can't see who's walking on the bridge. But at the very end, we find out that her best friend and little techie do end up together. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jen uh, wants to point out that the director for this film which is one of the reasons why Studio Ghibli kind of fell into a bad place for a little bit. Okay. The, the director of this film was supposed to be the successor ah. to Miyazaki, but he passed away. Oh. This was the only film he could direct. Um, Yoshifumo like, Kondo? Kondo? Yeah, Yoshifumo Kondo. Yeah. Um, he passed away ninety eight before he could direct another film and he was supposed to be the, the successor to Miyazaki. Yeah. And one of the things that, that Studio Ghibli is lamented on is because Miyazaki has retired and come unretired, like Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a small joke. Deal with it. That's that's out there to the internet land. Anyway. <laughs> but no, he and, and, it, and it's it was the only Ghibli film not directed by Miyazaki or Takahata right. for seven years. Hell, the spiritual sequel was what they call the cat returns was released in 2002 yeah and don't get it twisted i don't think they did a misstep here when it comes to that but i definitely think that if they want studio ghibli to move forward they need to bring in some new blood and they tried with miyazaki's son goro miyazaki well we'll, we'll we talk will... about that when we get to that because we're still so early oh, yeah. in, in this. So the last thing I want to talk about before we move on uh, to ratings is just a couple of the English cast. Uh, we watched the English dub. We did not have any subtitles. So we weren't able to compare like we have in the past. This is the weakest voice cast that I feel has happened in any Miyazaki film. I think a lot of the names are a little less, a little less star power, but they're also uh, a lot more. Of names, if that makes sense. So they're lower on the celebrity scale, but I mean, it's got Brittany Snow and um, Ashley Tisdale, who were up and coming at that point. Uh, David Gallagher, everybody thought was going to be everything at that point. Um, he's the little blonde boy from Seventh Heaven. Uh, Doogie Hauser's dad, Gene Smart, um, Courtney Thorne Smith, Carrie Ells, who's like in everything. 
uh, and Harold Gould. I mean, it, there were so many names in this, but they weren't all, they were all, you know, like B list and maybe some of them C list names at that point. Whereas some of the other English dubs had, you know, really top A list actors. Kirsten Dunst, Tress McNeil. Yeah, people only know Tress McNeil nowadays if they're into voice acting anyway. But yeah, Kirsten Dunst was like. If you don't know who Tress McNeil is and you listen to this podcast, kill yourself (laughs) right now. Don't tell people to kill themselves. Can you tell Tech is a fanboy? I love you. I love you, Tress. No, I, I honestly, out of all of the voice casts that have come out of this Ghibli stable, this is to me the weakest. It may have more like B C level actors, but it doesn't have that one star. And Carrie Elways isn't in it enough to really qualify. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm going to give them uh, mad props for, though, is they cast singers. They right. and I think that's what yeah. hurt the star power. Yeah, is that they couldn't get some like A list celebrities. Because it's very hard to find somebody of that caliber that can actually sing. Yeah. And uh, they actually do this. Say again? You think they actually cast singers on purpose? Yeah. Because yeah. it happened a yeah. lot, but it didn't happen enough dialogue-wise to to risk compromising acting. Because they they acted more than they sang in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that you really needed the the singing too. Uh, I think if if when they started singing they weren't very good, or it was a different voice, which they do like in a lot of Disney movies, you'll have a speaking voice and a singing voice. But you know, star, I think that would take us out of it. Star power be darned. Yeah, I think the uh, the voice acting uh, cast that we got in the dub was very good. Yeah, I I don't think that at any time watching this movie that I think to myself, eh, I wish the acting was better because I'm I'm losing something here. Yeah. I, I thought it was uh, very competent. Uh, the direction was great. Um, I wish I had the, the Japanese subtitles to watch so that I could see where the, the where the changes were made in translation. But beyond that, I was uh, I was happy with the cast. It just it didn't have that star power of, you know, Brad Garrett himself, <laughs> like we had in Porco Rosso, and Phil Hartman, well, and Phil and, Hartman, uh, and Kirsten Dunst and, and Kiki. Well, see, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I don't have a problem with the dub in this film. I think it's serviceable, and I think it's well because I've had to sit through bad dubs. <laughs> oh I've, yeah, I've had to sit through atrocious dubs. I'm looking at you, Fist of the North Star. I'm oh, looking at he had to bring it up, didn't he? <laughs> Rao. I'm looking at you, Rao. A matter of fact, I'm looking at anything that was done by Streamline in the past. Because they mean, have made every top made bad dub list ever. Even Ninja but, Scroll was horrible. Ninja Scroll? Yeah, Ninja Scroll's bad. What's the matter, monster? Your skin looks like it's falling apart. <laughs> All right. God, so bad. So apparently uh, this gets referenced again, obviously, in The Cat Returns and in Search of a Midnight Kiss. I don't know that movie, but it's also been referenced in Amelie, which I think is kind of cool. Did you say Amelie? Amelie. Huh. Yeah. Figure. I I now want to like rewatch it and figure out where it's been, how it was referenced. Huh. I do too, actually. Now, now that you mentioned it, I definitely want to look at Amelie and see where it referenced. Yeah. Because I, because... In my nerd quest, it's to legitimize anime and manga to the general masses. Mm-hmm. 
and I make references all the time to things that people reference in standard animation, specifically Pixar. And everybody looks at me like I'm speaking gibberish. But having this reference in Amelie, mm-hmm. I feel rides towards that because Amelie was a huge thing. Yeah. All right. So time. Is there anything we need to mention before we rate this? Um, no, I'm good to go. All right. Without spoilers. No more spoilers. No more spoilers. All right. So, Tech, what would you like to raise this? I would like to give this movie five out of ten bicycles going up a hill. Five out of ten? Yes. And let wow. me let me give you my reasons why. Okay. One, it's the same thing I've mentioned in the other three movies that I'm going to mention in this one. And looking at my scorecard, I can't believe I gave Porco Rosso only 8 out of 10. It should be a lot higher. Um, <laughs> Whispers of the Heart, 5 out of 10. Why? Because Miyazaki hasn't yet figured out how to end a movie. He just stops his movies. Um, and Yeah, he Jason, really does. Jason <laughs> promised me that this was going to get better, and it didn't. Um, no, 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 I openly admitted. I openly admitted this is my least favorite Miyazaki film. So after this film, this is the peak. The movies they get better, and and I will say this now: Earth C constructed is a bad movie. Period. Okay. But the pieces, if you take it into pieces. There are great gems. It's a geode of a Ghibli movie. Okay, (laughs) Okay. so I'm going to get back to my rating here. So why did I give this only 5 out of 10? Um, One, it just stops. It doesn't end. Um, And for all of the pluses (laughs) that it had of understanding how to write women characters and it being capturing what it is to be an early early adolescent and all of the awkwardness and the weirdness and the girl code and I can't understand girls now in my late 30s. Much less like good when I was 13 and a little techie trying to play baseball. What really bothers me is that in the other movies, if they were done live action, I think I would enjoy them just as much. If Porco Rosso was done live action or was done CG, I would be all over that. If this was done live action, it's like, what is this movie? Oh, it's a 13-year-old girl writing a love note to her boyfriend who moved to Italy to, to make violins. Eh, I'll read the plot synopsis on IMDb. I'm not... The, the, you should have done the summary. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's nothing really there's there's nothing really that hooks me here in the story. It's it's a it's beautiful. I'm I'm glad I watched it. I think I learned a lot. And it's what really hooked me. Where the five points come from is that it's a Miyazaki film being a Miyazaki film. He understands how to write women. He understands how to write girls. He understands how to write girls turning into women. He understands the awkwardness that it is to be a teenager. He understands people. He gets location. He knows music. And the director, whoever it was, knows how to block a scene and use the camera to tell a story even in a cartoon. The the use of color, the use of light, the use of music, the use of Everything is absolutely brilliant, but the story didn't go anywhere. And when it wasn't going anywhere, all of a sudden it ended. Yeah. And okay. And the only thing I remember from this movie in 40 years, what am I going to remember? Hey, did did you watch that movie? Yeah, I did. Take me home. Country <laughs> roads. West Virginia. <laughs> is the only thing I'm going to remember. All right, so so uh, let's let's move on. Let's compare this to the person who's been dogging this film, uh, Jason. What is your rating? Okay, look here. Oh boy, 
<laughs> just give a rating. The reason why I give it the rating, I give it the rating I give it because it's my least favorite. And I have seen every Ghibli film known to man other than the current one that is out right now. I think it's like the Red Turtle. Red Turtle. That. Yeah, I've even watched the series, the, the cartoon series that is on, uh, I think it's... <laughs> I think it was Hulu or Amazon. I'm, so what's I'm, the rating? It's two out of ten. Ooh. Ouch. Ouch. It's a two out of ten. Two and, out of ten what? Two out of ten missed connections. And I say missed connections because obviously the the baseball player missed his connection. The best friend missed her connection. And the main character missed her connection. Because, yeah, she got with the violin maker, but she totally short shifted the rest of her and her family and it's not two out of ten because it's a bad film i don't think whispers of the heart whisper of the heart is a bad film i think because i have to compare it against the gamut of ghibli films it's the weakest and i will say that a lot of people will argue me to the death that whispers of the heart whisper of the heart is better than earthsea and I will call your bluff, sir. I'll call your bluff. Well, we'll Here's- see that when we get to Earthsea. Uh, Jen, what is your rating? So this, again, is the first time that I have actually seen this movie. And I thought it was pretty cute. I'm going to have to give it a 6 out of 10 library cards. Oh, good pull. I like that library cards. All right, hang on. I got I to gotta put that in there. I keep track, by the way, of all of our ratings like not just the numbers, but I put in comments of what we've rated it. So I always put a little note library card. So if you're, if you're, but she wins by the rating type. Right? Yeah, the she definitely type. her rating system uh, absolutely wins with library cards. I love that. Um, do you do you want to add anything to that uh, after I give you a glowing recommendation for your <laughs> your rating system? was a very cute popcorn movie mm-hmm. um it was kind of just one of those ones that you'd probably just watch with like girlfriends chick flick yep uh, but i have to agree that the way he did the girls in this um and the crushes and stuff like that he got it pretty spot on now yeah. we'll say this is the only chick flick by miyazaki yeah i believe it mm. it's the only pure chick flick like i feel that if you got a bunch of teenage girls together and had them watch this movie they would ball their eyes out at the, how this thing ends because they don't figure out you know if they get married or not yeah they do we don't know that well they know that they have the intention of it by the end exactly yeah. they I, have the intention i'm gonna assume that they finally do get married. well in the dvd yes, like the, 14 but still in yeah. the dvd version you get to see them or I'm sorry, in the Blu-ray version, you can yeah. see them walk on the bridge yeah. and support them getting married. But in the version they saw, which is the version that everybody saw. No, we saw know. we didn't have it cut either. So anyway, my rating. Your rating. My rating, while a little inflated by comparison. Uh, and the reason for this uh, has to do with art. But I'm going to give it seven and a half lace drawings out of ten. Ooh. You know what? Actually, seven lace drawings out of ten. I'm I'm not going to go to seven point five. I'm going to go to just seven lace drawings out of ten because the okay when 
when he drew lace, I was mesmerized by it. Hey, there was a couple of scenes, I know what you're talking about, where they yeah. would be looking at a, a character's looking out a window and there's a lace curtain. Yeah. And it's intricately drawn. It's not just like an opaque sort of a layer. They actually took the time to draw and animate the individual yeah. threads of the lace pattern. Exactly. And when she's at her friend's house and they're sitting there having tea and cookies and Pocky, there's lace hanging off of the nightstand on just in the corner. And it's mm. absolutely done well. I could watch Little Nutty write in kanji all day long. It was beautiful. The blocking, the animation in everything. And then they go to the, the fantastical world, which was done by an artist and an a uh, former art teacher, uh, I was blown away. So it's a little inflated due to that. I have to mention, I I, lo- I love that part as well. When uh, the mom is like, "Would you like me to bring you up some tea and cookies?" Yes, please, thanks, mom. And then you see the tray, and it's the cookies and the tea and sticks of pocky. Um, how Japanese is that? Uh, so uh, to which point, if you're listening to this and going, "What's pocky?" One unnecessary censorship. To, Stop telling people that. No, try Pocky. It's actually not that bad. It's, it's a it's a it's a cookie it's a cookie stick covered in chocolate. They're tasty. If you don't know what Pocky is, unnecessary censorship. Oh, no, God. stop. I'm cutting all of that. <laughs> if you don't know what Pocky is, just Google it. You are worthy. We want you in this world. Don't listen to these horrible people. <laughs> Try some Pocky. It's pretty tasty. For Nutty, and this is not a no. question about the movie. This is actually a question about this podcast strain. Are we going to do a retrospective? Can we do a retrospective on after you've seen all of the Ghibli? Absolutely. We can definitely go back. And we will because then we'll, we'll have seen everything. Oh. Yeah, we, we oh, will definitely do a retrospective. Um, and I think we might do a, a couple of them. Like halfway through. or Well, I'm thinking when we finish the Miyazaki films mm-hmm. before we go to the Takahata ones, sure. uh, we'll do a little retrospective there. Um, so the next movie we're going to be doing is going to be Princess Mononoke. And we're going to be recording this live Live. at Balticon, which means we can only talk for an hour instead of an hour. and So we'll only have an hour to talk about it, and that'll include questions. Mm. So we'll have to be really careful. But we're going to be doing Princess Mononoke. And I actually have a question for Jen and Jason. Uh, Should Tech and I watch this before we get down to Balticon, or should we schedule a time for us to watch it together? Oh, I am down. I am oh so down for watching Princess Mononoke with you all. I'm but, going to recommend that y'all watch it before and not have Jason no. sitting there talking the whole time. But I totally recommend watching it first. The reason why I hold Princess Mononoke in such high regard because it wasn't the first Studio Ghibli film I watched. It was the second but it was the first that I ever owned. And I bought it under the guise of Miramax because when this movie Beep, came Miramax. out, Disney owned, Disney owned it in the middle yeah. of the, in the mid nineties, Disney owned it under this title because it is the most violent and it's a little more complicated than and, some bl- and gory. So maybe we should do gory. both. Maybe we should watch it and then watch it with Jen and Jason. You go ahead and watch it first. I'll watch it live. Nutty. Uh, predictions. Okay, so predictions for the Balticon panel is um, that I will be dressed as a Studio Ghibli character. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> predictions for the movie. No, everybody knows who I am, uh, but but not the listeners. Uh, predictions for the movie. I have no idea. All I know is that Princess Mononoke is one of those titles that everybody talks about and freaks out when they talk about anime. But I have no idea what it's about. I think there might be something with a wolf, like she's a wolf spirit or something. Yeah, so I have no this, idea. So just to refresh my memory, is this the one with the mask-wearing ghost or the chick that rides the wolf? Which one is this one? Chick that rides the wolf. Okay. The mask-wearing ghost is spirited away. Okay, there you go. I know that much. All right, so I'll I knew be- that there was a wolf or something. I'll give you a little no. teaser. I'll give you a little teaser tech. You get to listen to Jillian Anderson in this movie, a.k.a. Scully. I love how he's like, hey, Tech, meanwhile, like, I'm the one with the recent crush on Jillian. Yeah, you're the one with the crush on Jillian Anderson. I'm the one with the crush on David Duchovny. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your prediction for the movie itself, Nutty? You talk about the panel. Um, I have no idea because I really don't know that much about it. And once we started Intro to Ghibli, I've tried to not find out anything. Mm. Um, Jason has spoiled us. Apparently, the protagonist is male. Um, but apparently, I'm thinking Princess uh, Mononoke, she rides a wolf, and he's in love with her, and maybe she's a wolf spirit. And um, apparently, it's violent, so maybe she chews people up. That would be cool. Uh, and maybe, Rory likes that. Yeah, maybe Rory likes that. And maybe she was never there to begin with. Mm. Mm. I am um, very apprehensive about this. In my experience, anime has done very, very poorly at portraying indigenous cultures Mm. and this is weird coming from a country like japan that has its own indigenous culture like the ainu Um, yeah but they're not very nice to them no they've been horrible to the ainu so maybe that's where it comes from we don't want to do it we don't want to talk about that no No. we don't it's very sad no but um like the only other one i can think of is macross zero Mm -hmm. and i'm a huge macross and robotech fan but um Man, the Polynesian culture that they tried to represent in this movie was done so badly and so comically overboard and so horribly done. And I just want to watch, um, if I'm watching Macross, I want to see giant robots blowing each other up in the skies and crazy cool jets. And instead, I get stuck with crazy princesses and crazy witch doctor voodoo bullcrap that Japanese people tried to translate, and it didn't work, and it was bad. So you tell me, oh, there's this movie about Princess Mononoke, and she rides a wolf, and she's a spirit, and blah, indigenous cultures. It's like they are going to train wreck this into a wall, and whatever plot I'm going to get out of it, and however good it may be, how bad, and the track record they've had for how they treat the Ainu, they're going to treat this indigenous culture so bad that however good this movie may be, I just just can't live with it. So, so I'm anticipating a four out of ten. Uh, okay, I was gonna say, should we think in Miyazaki? We trust, though. I don't know. In, well, you know what? Even uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it'll be just like this movie where everything Miyazaki is awesome. So the movie, the blocking, the lighting, the the the, the scripting, the everything Miyazaki does is great. The plot itself just kind of, we can push that aside and we may salvage a four or a five out of ten. That's what I I also predict that it's just going to end and it's not going to have an ending. Right. It's just going to stop. No, actually. No, no. You know what? I'll give you guys this. I'll hand you this one because I love you both. It it ends. It actually has an ending and it's a rather (laughs) good ending. All right. Well, we'll see. So your predictions. 
Do you think I will like it? Do you think Tech will like it? Yes. I almost want to say no. I'll put it this way. With Tech's last rant. I want to say no. I don't think he'll like it. <laughs> I don't think he'll like the ending. <laughs> I think Nutty will like the ending. I think, Nutty, a, I think Nutty will like the entire movie. Here's, here's, a, here's, here's, here's another question, and I will not give the answer to how I feel about the answer. Nutty and Tech, have you guys seen The Notebook, and what is your concept of The Notebook? The Ryan Gosling movie. Uh, Ooh, I haven't seen it. Nutty has. Yeah, uh, I um, know of it. I like it. I think it's really sweet. I love old people movies, so my favorite parts are um, the James Gardner part. And uh, I can't remember the actress that plays her uh, when they're old people. Um, there are, you know, nitpicks and whatnot, but it's it's a chip flick. You know, you, you watch it for those things. But I love that endearing, so enduring did, love thing. I saw the original great old people movie. It was called Cocoon, and I've never needed to watch another one okay. since. Dude, no, yeah. you saw the original great old people movie, and it was called Batteries Not Included. <laughs> Same people. Dark. Just as much awesome. Also a great movie. Batteries Not Included will get me to weep like a little boy even now. Oh, yeah. In 2007, put Batteries Not Included on, I'm weeping. You put on Cocoon, I'm like, hey, Wilford Brimley, Mr. Diabetes, did a cannonball in that. (laughs) Um, Oh, man, the part that gets me is... um, when 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 he's putting the water over his dead wife at the end and i'm just like oh but oh, in cocoon yeah anything Congrats. with jessica tandy in it though i absolutely loved oh that's oh you mean in in in, in cocoon yeah that's because that dude is a douche and all he needed to do to save his wife's life was to let her take a dip in that alien egg pool but instead, he was a Jewish stereotype, which is unfostered and unrealistic in the pool. He would not let her, so she died. You know that uh, they're married. They were married in real life. Yeah. It's so sad. It's yeah. so sad. It was so sweet. Anyway, so uh, I forgot to mention, by the way, our cumulative score for whisper, whisper of the heart. I have it as whispers. Sorry, I'm going to change that. Um, is a five out of ten. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with Princess Mononoke. And we are very divided among gender lines on this one. We too. really are. We're very divided on gender lines here. Um, Which is weird because I liked all the girl stuff. I felt that they that yeah. they they got the writing of girls of young girls to be absolutely perfect. But that's not why I didn't like the movie. Yeah. It, it was it was great. I loved it. And as Jen said, it's it's a chick flick and mm. it's a young chick flick. Like you could play this at four o'clock in the afternoon. Dude, it's my absolute least favorite of the Ghibli films. Absolute least favorite. No, clearly and that's two out of ten. I kind of want to play it for my niece and see what she does. Oh, nine. Yeah. Cat's pretty close. Yeah. She's a smart nine. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. I feel if you if you quantify her as a smart nine, she's definitely more in the 11, 12. Yeah, 11. exactly. So she's she's just about the right age. If you get her in in one of her temper tantrums, she's like nine going on seventeen. You know, one of the one of those kids. She's she's one of those kids oh. who's like really she's a sixteen year old sometimes, and then other times she's four. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for joining us, everyone. Um, and uh, Jen, Jason, where can people find you outside of this podcast? Come on, Jen. You can do I believe in you. 
Come on. You did it. Look, Nutty will agree. She loved it when you ran the podcast. When I was podcasting from driving and you were the one in charge. That's like a Nutty's favorite episode. That was pretty cool. Yeah, but you So let's just get it right the first time and have you do it. (sighs) Fine. You can always find us at talknerdytomepodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdytome. And of course, you can find us on the Twitter at Nerdy Two Me Podcast. That's the number two for all of them. So yeah, there you go. And tech, uh, how, how's how's Upside Down and Flying's podcast coming along? Well, we have a development. We have a development. Muppet News Flash. Emphasis on the word Muppet. I've recently gotten a uh, fuzzy for my microphone. A windsock. A windsock. A Muppet for my microphone. So all of the audio that I have so far recorded, uh, which has, which is disastrous that I've shared with no one. Yeah, for it's, the it's mostly unusable due to wind. Yeah, for the Upside Down and Flying podcast will now be of much higher quality, which also means I need to re-record everything. Yep. Which means I need to come up with new rants. Which means I need to go for more walks because I only podcast when I go walking. So if you would like to see more or read more about my horrible lessons in trying to learn Aikido the hard way, you can follow me at UpsideDownAndFlying.tumblr.com and uh, about half the posts there are of Nutty trying to learn Aikido the hard way. Um, Soon to come to you in podcast form and also very soon, July 25th, Mr. Tech here will become Aikido's newest black belt if he passes his bloody test, which (laughs) he may not because he is uh, equally likely to pass as he is to vomit all over himself in uh, in nerves and panic because this is one heck of a daunting test. Well, and it's not just it's not just a black belt test. It's a black belt test. And an instructor test. Right, and my instructor's license all yeah. rolled That's into right. one. Oh, God, I forgot to spoil that. I, I couldn't, I haven't had enough chicken, so I couldn't spoil that. But yes, Tech has been teaching classes of Aikido. He has been the senpai that we all want to get to notice us. Jason, I've noticed you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And uh, you can find all the links to everything Nutty Bites at in the outro. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye. Bye. See you at Balticon. Faster than a shambling zombie, more powerful than the Slender Man, able to tell compelling stories in a single household, it's Flashpulp! Murder, mystery, detective stories, zombies, Carwick the Spider God, and more. Skinner Co. brings you 10 to 15 minutes of audio pulp every week. They produce for fun, excitement, and the podcasting way. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-Nutty42.